Hi guys. Hey. I'm Riz. I'm Liza. And this be. We forgot little sleep. <laughs> Wait. You say, and this is the little sleep. <laughs> And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. We take more than two weeks break. We forget how to do the podcast. Everything goes out of my brain. (laughs) Literally, if I don't do this podcast every Monday, I just like slip into like a puddle of like no brains. Yes, I don't know what day it is. No, I never know what's happening. Mm -mm. Um, you you might notice, folks, this is not season three of the Little Sleep Much Reading podcast. This is season two point five. 2.5. 2.5. It's our special season. Mm-hmm. Why is it special? Because right now, as we're playing in your little ears, Marissa and I are in hot, sunny Aruba. Yeah, we are. Welcome to the Aruba tapes. The Aruba tapes. We need like a new theme song just for the Aruba tapes. So this season's going to be centered around um, both the island of Aruba and also vacationing. Yeah. So Beach get mode. get ready for that. Lizard mode. Lizard mode only. Um, before we get into what our first Aruba episode is, do, do we have any lit news? We do. We do have some some amazing lit news. <laughs> hey, let's get into it. What is it, Marissa? Um, I don't know if you guys know, and if you don't know, you need to now know. Um, Hairstyles did in fact release his third album on May twentieth, the day before my father's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad! Um, <laughs> and. Me and Liza want to um, talk about it and, I don't know, like, let you guys know what our favorites are and, and like, rank the, the tracks. Ranking Harry's house. So excited. So we're go- are we going to go backwards? Yeah. And there's 12 tracks, right? I thought there's 13. Which, which one did I miss? I don't know. Now I feel like I wrote one twice. Now I feel... Hold on. <laughs> It could be that I definitely missed one. Okay, let me see. I got I got that one. I got that one. Oh, I mi- I did there is 13. I did miss one. Oh. I know that one that one's got to go last now. <laughs> I know. I think I'm actually going to do it as second to last. Ooh. All right. Let's and I mean see. we should say that like Overall, let me say this overall. 
I love this album. Um, I think it's really fun. I think there's no song that I don't like. Um, and so I like them all. I feel like I can dance to all of them. I can have my moment, my hot girl moment to them. And I definitely think a lot of these songs are going to be uh, songs of the summer and probably of our Aruba vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I will say is when Harry released his debut album, there was like this moment for me where I was where I was like one of my favorite people in the world have released an album that is rock, which is something that I've always liked, but never had like an idol like this do that. Like, yeah, One Direction made pop rock, I would say. Um, But he like genuinely made a rock album and I was very excited about that. And I just that feeling of being like, wow, someone who I love is likes the same things that I like enough to create it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he did continue that a lot um, with his second album uh, with songs like She and even like Fine Line kind of. But um, when we get to this third album, I was although even though I like every single song on it, I was a little bit sad that I feel like he has grown out of his um, rock music and that he's moving more into pop-ish. Yeah. Which is totally fine because I still like pop and I still love all these songs, but I did feel a little bit like melancholic over, like, like something just felt a little bit lost. Yes. And I was like mourning the fact that I'm going to miss that. But I'm not like, I'm not upset about the album at all. No, I 100% agree. And the one thing I will say, though, about that is this album, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, reminds me more of One Direction than any of his other albums and any of any other member of One Direction's albums. Absolutely. I love that about it. Yes, it makes my heart feel like, like when Harry says he loved his time in the band he genuinely did he did because this album literally sounds like it could be a one direction album Mm -hmm. it could be four like it could be songs that they just forgot to put on four Mm -hmm. and i'm like (laughs) i love that because four i think is my favorite one direction album um for now let's let's go to harry's house welcome everyone knock on the door before you enter harry's house because it's not it's not yours it's harry's not polite um liza what's your 13th song my 13th song is satellite i feel like we're gonna completely disagree on this (laughs) (laughs) i'm so scared my 13th is keep driving (gasps) We're going to have, <laughs> it's going to be interesting, you guys. Okay, what's your 12? Grape juice. <gasps> Eliza! <laughs> okay, my 12th is Matilda. <gasps> oh my God, Marissa. <laughs> Wait till you see, you guys, this is crazy. All um, right, 11. Love of my life. <laughs> Cinema. Marissa, <laughs> what's your 10th? Little Freak. 
Marissa, my tenth is boyfriends. Okay. Your ninth. Daydreaming. Okay, my ninth is as it was. <laughs> What's your eighth? Boyfriends. Okay, my eighth is late night talking. Which, like, boyfriends is fun to sing. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'm just, like, humming it. Lately, I found myself humming it. But um, I don't know if I would ever, like, choose to put it on unless I was sad. Bop to it. Right. Also, the more I listen to Daydreaming, the more I like it. Yeah. Same with late night talking. It's hard because I I found that each day there's a new one that's stuck in my head. Yeah. So maybe like... 13 keep driving maybe that just hasn't it hasn't hit you yet right it'll hit me um okay number seven what's your number seven late night talking mine is cinema late night talking is fun it's just like a little bit repetitive yes i agree six matilda daydreaming Five. Love of my life. I did music for a sushi restaurant. You put that as five? I love it. But yes. Okay, what's your fourth? <laughs> Wait, did I miss one again? Because why did I go one, two, four? <laughs> Oh no, I see what happened. Wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Ten. What did I miss? Okay, music. On it again, folks. Late night talking, grape juice, as it was, daylight. Oh, did I miss daylight? I missed daylight. Let's put daylight at number. For, I don't even know if I feel this way, but let's put daylight at number five. <laughs> and I'm going to do music for a sushi restaurant at number four. Okay. My number okay. four is grape juice. Okay. Okay. We got this. Number three. Satellite. Mine is keep driving. Oh, my God. I know. Uh, two. As it was. Music for a sushi restaurant. It's so good. I love music for a sushi restaurant. Okay, so the number one is Little Freak Jezebel. <laughs> My number one's Daylight. I like Daylight. daylight. <laughs> Ooh, <hoo. laughs> I, don't know how I, it. I think I got it confused with Daydreaming, like the title. Yeah, I don't know why. That was a poor decision on Harry's part. Yeah, it was. I, we had literally almost the exact opposite... Cause like, I don't like, like I quote unquote, don't like satellite and grape juice and you don't like little freaking as it was, right. or you don't Me? like keep driving. I've had friggin' satellite stuck in my head all, all this morning. Mm. It is good. I literally think this list is so subject to change too. Oh, it's going to change. Because to be so lonely is my favorite fine line song. But I remember when I first listened to it, that album, it was definitely nowhere near my top favorite. Um, so that's our Harry's House rankings. Um, we're right. 
you're wrong. Shut up. We should also, we should do it a shut up. (laughs) Again, at the end of the Aruba trip. Deal. Because what if it changes? It'll change. It will. It'll change. Little freak, Jezebel. I'm going to make you like little freak, bitch. Do it. I, I love it. Little Freak is like, I was so excited that it was going to be like a huge, crazy rock ballad. I thought that too. And then when it wasn't, I was a little sad, but I still like this. But I sometimes I am just like walking around the house like Little Freak, Jezebel. <laughs> I think that the Little Freak, Jezebel line is what solidified that as my favorite fucking li- like song. And then the fucking I Could Cook an Egg on You in Music for a Sushi Restaurant. Oh, that's and so good. In the Keep Driving, where I love it so much, is there's one part where he's like cocaine side boob or some shit yeah. like that. And I was like, eat it up, bitch. Slurp it like a soup. Little stew. And I just love As It Was. I, just, I don't know why. I just do. It's just, it's a fun song. It's a bop. Though. You know who loves As It Was? Sylvie. I believe it. It's a fucking bop. Sylvie's correct. He knows. He knows. He'd be knowing. Um, this week's episode, um, you'll notice that the title is Island Appreciation. Um, and that's because we wanted to take a moment of like land acknowledgement um, because Aruba is a vacation destination now um just like a lot of jamaica like jamaican resort towns and caribbean islands and dominican republic puerto rico um but they weren't always vacation destinations and in fact a lot of them were horrendously colonized um so we it's actually really hard we found to find there's not really any writers from aruba and i think part of that has to do with just how long it has been colonized by the dutch but so we didn't just read books by authors from aruba because that would have been like very challenging to find we did any sort of island in that area of the world a writer from there so they could be caribbean jamaican haitian dominican um what have you cuban um and i've never been to aruba so marissa's gonna speak on what aruba is like but i was like let me do some research because all i know is that it was colonized by the dutch but i don't know anything else about it okay the blurb on wikipedia for aruba's history is this big whereas the one on the dominican republic is pages and pages and pages i don't know why that is i don't know if it's because the history of aruba hasn't been as tumultuous as the history of places like the dominican republic I don't know if that, that it's been colonized way longer than the Dominican Republic. I don't know if it's that. It actually wasn't like a inhabited place. It was an island off the coast of Venezuela that was then settled on by the Conquito people from the Arawak tribes of Venezuela. So native people settled there, but they aren't, they weren't from there originally. And um, I wonder if maybe that's why it, it didn't have as like 
and this is not to say that there's not like a Aruba um, island native people culture. It's just that they came from this indigenous Venezuelan culture. So I don't know if maybe that has something to do with it, um, but it was uh, these people, the Coquito uh, people, Coquito people um, arrived in Aruba, which is very close to Venezuela. Um, during times of attacks from other, other Caribbean nations were attacking Venezuela at the time. Um, so they kind of escaped there and settled there. From what I understand, not a lot of people. I mean, it was in the thousands, but it wasn't like a crap ton of people. Um, but sh after some time, the Netherlands took control and they actually controlled Aruba for two full centuries. Um, I also saw that it was briefly controlled by Britain um, for a minute there, uh, which I didn't know. That's a little weird. And then now, and then it was given fully to the Dutch um, in like the 1800s or so I want to say um is when it it just became like as it exactly is not ex as it exactly is but like it hasn't really changed um so it's been under European control occupation for a very long time um but the there's all kinds of people there so people from other islands in the Caribbean Sea live there um, from what I understand and then uh, lots of um, Latina people so mostly Venezuelan um, it seemed like and a lot of Dutch people it seems like there's not really any remnants of indigenous folks left in Aruba there might be indigenous people from like other places like Caribbean people indigenous to the Caribbeans or people who are like descended from Venezuela. But like there, it doesn't seem at least from what I was, maybe Marissa can also like say if this is a case, but it doesn't seem like there's a huge like indigenous culture anymore. Like you see in some other island nations, it did seem like it, it's more, um, I guess, Western, at least in how long it's been that occupation has been there and that there was very little uprisings, at least that are documented, uprisings against that occupation. So that's what I found on Aruba. So this is just something interesting that I was thinking of when you were just saying that, so I wanted to look it up. Um, the... Uh, Aruba has a few different languages that they use, but like the main, they speak English like widely. Um, but the main language that is, I guess, like theirs is Papiamento, which is like a Spanish Creole language, which it says mixtures of Portuguese and Dutch. And it's spoken a lot in the uh, Caribbean. So that's. Uh, interesting. And so I've been to Aruba, I think like, I think this will be my fifth time, maybe my fourth. Um, and the first time I went there, I was probably, I think, 16 years old. 
And um, it's a small island. And there's one beach where all the high-rise hotels are on. And so it feels very touristy. All the shops there are like souvenir shops. Um, and I did feel like guilty when I first went there a little bit because I'm like, yeah, I'm having a wonderful time, but I'm very aware that all these people here are in service jobs to usually wealthy white people. Um, and I did feel some type of way about that. But that is Aruba's economy. Like tourism is uh, the country's main source of income. And I mean, if you think about tourism, I mean, we don't think of maybe in New York City, you would kind of think of it. I didn't when I was there. Um, but think about like a town that me and Liza grew up in. Like I live in Buffalo. Tourist, tourism isn't really like a thing here. Yeah, there are people who you're like, oh, that person's definitely a tourist. They're doing like tourist things. But it, it's we don't have like a, a set tourist economy. We don't. So, so you don't think about all the things that goes into that. Um when I'm saying like tourism is Aruba's economy, that's saying like hotels, taxis, uh, all the souvenir shops, restaurants, um, construction, uh, Airbnbs, renting cars, water sports, horseback riding, the parks, um, any beach money you spend, things like that. Like, this is all things that people come there to do and it goes into their economy. And that's how these people make their money. And I've have never in all the times I went there met one of the locals who were, who was mean or seemed unhappy or anything. Uh, Aruba's nicknamed uh, one happy Island. <laughs> and it truly is like, everyone is so wonderful there. Um, the Island is so diverse there's desert uh there's the beach there's just packs of donkeys and goats that just walk around sometimes which is really great there's lizards everywhere um it's it's the kind of place that like the locals ask you if it's your first time there and you're like oh no it's like my third or my fifth or whatever and they literally cheer like it makes them so happy that you're like continuously coming to the island and they thank you for coming. Um, it's definitely, it's a place where people say good morning to each other when you're just like walking down the beach and they smile at each other and actually look each other in the eye, which is like crazy. Um, everyone is super helpful. They're kind. They genuinely seem happy all of the time, probably because they get so much sun. Um, and so like you can think of their economy and kind of feel bad that this is the way that it is and of course you can think about that and it's it's sad that we have a, a beautiful place like Aruba and it's turned into this capitalism type thing like only for money thing but um but it's not like us because I've talked about this a lot. Um, 
us going there isn't like a bad thing. Um, and like, of course, it's not like so many people go vacationing in Dominican Republic and you don't leave the resort. I've never been, but you're not supposed to leave the resort. It's the people there. I don't think always seem friendly and happy. And I feel like maybe that's a place that their economy is probably also very much tourism, but maybe that's a place that we should think twice about going to because the people there don't seem very happy. But Aruba's not like that. Um, everyone there is wonderful. And and every time I've went there, I have made friends with local people there. Whether it's like my mom has these two cab drivers that she always calls and they're like our friends. Or um, the people who served us drinks at the hotel. There's like this one certain place that serves drinks to only certain people in the hotel. And we made friends with the guys, the bartenders there. Just like a bunch of very friendly, amazing people. And everyone's just happy and great. And yeah, that's what Aruba is like now. And also one thing about Aruba. Oh, two things, actually. One fun thing is uh, we have we're planning to go caving, not caving. We're not going in caves. We're going in caves, but we're not going like spelunking. We're not going down in caves. We're just seeing the caves. And there are a couple caves that I've seen that have like cave drawings in it, which is really interesting. Um, and then the second thing I was going to say is the worst thing about Aruba is when there's like old white people who are retired and have been there for like a month straight and they think that they're tan and they put a lots of oil on their body, but really they're like literally baking Like they don't look tan. They're like red. <laughs> This is why I don't fuck with white people. I'm like, maybe you should stop putting oil on your body. Like, yeah. you're red. You don't look tan. This That's is weird. Insane. What the hell? What the hell? Um, no, yeah. Like, also, to your note on, like, about, like, the Dominican Republic, like, I, the book I read this week was from an author who's Dominican, and the Dominican people have been through just so much fucking shit and the U S has intervened in the Dominican Republic in really negative ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of those places that you're like, yeah, maybe like think twice before, like before having like a happy go lucky vacation in that kind of place. And like the other thing that it makes me think of, like if indigenous people are telling you not to come to a place do not come to the place. Like you said, like people in Aruba, like they're like, yo, like come hang out with us. Whereas like on like some of them, like obviously like the big island in Hawaii is now like a tourist metropolis and like Oahu and Maui are like more touristy. But those small Hawaiian islands, indigenous people are literally saying like, I beg you, do not come here. And white people just will not listen. So right. it's like, just don't, if an indigenous person tells you something, just like, and they, or they tell you to do something or not to do something, please listen to them. Of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I do get scared about it sometimes. Like just think about it. Cause I'm like, 
think like okay i'm sure liza knows about natalie holloway by now yes okay and so when that happened it was like a little bit of a hush hush thing there because they still wanted tourists to come right which which one and one of the reasons why I don't think that that was done by an Aruban person is because crime, I mean, crime happens everywhere, but like Aruba is a very safe island because they want people to continue to come there. Right. So there's, there's not, again, no one has, I've walked on the beach alone by myself very late at night and very early in the morning. And I've never felt uncomfortable. Never. I, yeah, I was also the, under the impression that it was like a Australian, like tourist or mm-hmm. like a, a Dutch like tour. Like I always thought it was like a, a, a like a random like other white person who was like visiting there, and they were just a fucking demon. Like, and and I I also think about it, and I'm like, if if a, a country like this did not want people to come there, um. COVID would be a great time to be like, oh, like, no, we're good. We're fine. Like, no, nobody come here. We're shutting down. Things like that. And Aruba did not have a lot of cases. They did not shut down, really. Um, When we went there during COVID, which was like a year ago, because I graduated in Aruba, guys. Um, So when we were there kind of during COVID, the people there were literally like, thank you so much for coming we're so happy to see, like, I don't know. I go, everyone is so nice. It, it feels so homey there. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm wanted there. Um, when you're driving to the airport, the taxi guy's always like, when are you guys coming back? <laughs> so like, I don't know. And, and again, we can feel bad about maybe how that happened and why this small island has to be touristy yeah and of course that's like a conversation we can always have um but it is that way and that's the way that it is and the people seem very genuinely happy and very okay with it and um and and also i know that aruba did have like a big oil company for a while i don't think that they do anymore but i wonder if that uh had a lot to do with it like passing through lots of hands and things like that definitely could be i mean oil is fucking a horrible or it causes so much horrible things Mm -hmm. so many different parts of the world so i wouldn't be surprised right Um, um yeah and I'm not positive about this, so don't quote me, but I think that they are one of the biggest um, aloe exporters. They have a poop ton of aloe and they have like Aruba aloe products, which I highly recommend. Should I buy some your- Yes. They have, you know, you'll really, really like, they have hand sanitizer. That's Aruba aloe hand sanitizer and it's very soft and it smells so good. Watch, my mom's gonna get like 10 bottles when we go. I love aloe so much. I believe it's a miracle. Like, um, fucking we're gonna go to the aloe farm, the aloe factory. Gotta go, we're gonna go there. It's gonna be, we're gonna go. 
so gonna, you're going to see all the the long fields. I'm so. And I think they chop it open in front of you and show you how they do it. We're going to be putting aloe all over ourselves because we might get burnt. Yeah, we might get burnt. But a little skin cancer never hurt nobody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, it did. But some risks you just have to be willing to take. Some risks for Aruba, we got to do it. But wear your sunscreen. I'm I'm going to wear high-power sunscreen when I first get there, and then I'm going to tone it down. I probably will the whole time because I'm scared, but hey. Hey, take One it. day I'll forget, and then then it's over and done with. Once I burn once, I'm not even going to try to put any more sunscreen on. Okay. <laughs> Um, I know I, I, my whole thing, I'm so annoying is that I always, I'm like, I don't burn. Like I just tan really well. I know I'm going to get down there and burn because I've never been that close to the fucking equator before. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I burn. Um, oh, I also want to mention, I didn't actually do research on this, but Aruba is very close to Venezuela. Um, and Venezuela is having a really tough time and has been having a really tough time. So that is also just something to acknowledge and maybe even to have an episode on Venezuelan writers in the future. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, like I said, I didn't do a bunch of research on it, but I know there's probably are ways to help people in Venezuela because um, they're under like dictatorship like control and having to escape their own country and not be able to go back and um not having access to like food or like baby formula which now the united states doesn't have access to baby formula either um i love living in a society um but yeah that it's that's something also i I feel like i forgot to kind of um that land acknowledgement as well I'm just writing that down so that we don't forget. Little freak, Jezebel. Baby. high on top the kitchen counter. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, so. Um, so, as we said, this is our Islander appreciation episode. And I had to do some digging for this. Um... But so the Islander I found was, uh, I don't want to say marketed this way, but I don't know another word for it. She was put out like she is a a writer from St. Martin, but she was, I found out she was actually born in Aruba and she didn't move to St. Martin until she was like 30. So she's technically like an Aruba author. That's so crazy. But they, yeah, they, they, they market her as, uh, she's like an ambassador of St. Martin's and, uh, they call her like the first dame of cultural arts there. And she was also the first woman, the first woman to publish a a book on the island. So. No way. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, my author is from the Dominican 
Republic, um, which is more north than Aruba and connected to Haiti, just for a geography standpoint of things. And as Liza said, Aruba is literally like right off the coast of Venezuela. Yeah. Um, and also 80 degrees year round, barely ever rains. It's 80 degrees, but it's constantly windy. So it does not feel hot. I mean, it feels hot, but it's like that wind blowing on you feels so good. Like my skin never feels like I'm, I have to rip it off. Um, so I think that our books are probably a lot different, uh, today. For example, my book is by an author named Ruby Butte. Um, and it is a book of poems, but it also has some art in it because she is not only a poer, a poer, a poet slash author, but also, uh, that's really funny, um, a painter. So it's got some of her paintings in it, which are very beautiful. Um, and then towards the end, there is a little short story in the book. Um, but this is a real quick read. But I, I'm sure Liza didn't also read poetry. No, I didn't read no. poetry this time. I read um, In the Time of the Butterflies by Julia Alvarez, um, which is a historical fiction, uh, which takes place during the uh, Trujillo dictatorship, which was in like the 40s, 50s, 60s in the Dominican Republic. And it was written, this book was written in the 90s by Julia Alvarez. Um, yeah, this is Ruby's, this book that I read is called uh, Floral Bouquets to the Daughters of Eve. Um, it's her second book published, but her first book published in the U.S. Um, and it's from 1995. And I will say it's feminist, but because it's 1995, it's outdated feminism. And it also is kind of religiously centered, which is a little bit contradictory to me. Yeah. Um, but I'll also say Ruby's writing and her art centers around Afro-Caribbean women, which I obviously am not. And therefore, I can't relate to those experiences. Um, but I think that a lot of these poems are uplifting to all women. And I think that they can be related to non-Afro-Caribbean women also. That's my thoughts on that. I wanted to start by giving a little bit of background on the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. This was a fucking trip. I feel so awful um, for everything that... It's a wonderful way. Yeah, I love when that happens. Like... I can't believe, although I can believe that these poor people have been through all this bullshit at the hands of white folks being just absolutely demonic as they always are um, throughout the course of history. Um, so pre-colonization, the Taino people um, lived in on the island of the Dominican Republic. Uh, 
which they called, I'm going to totally butcher this, uh, but Kiskwea, which means mother of all land, um, which is very lovely. Um, so the Taino people were living there. Their culture was rich. And who the fuck comes into the picture but Christopher Columbus, the biggest asshole. <laughs> of this time period. We hate conquistadors, um, fuck conquistadors. All my homies hate conquistadors. Um, so Columbus comes in and ruins everything as he always does. Um, this is around the 1400s. And as colonization in the Dominican Republic progresses, 400,000 Taino people are enslaved um, and forced to work in the gold mines there. Um, God knows what else was being done to them. Um, by 1508, their numbers were down to 60,000. So it went from 400,000 to 60,000. 60, and then I don't know what the exact number is, but this is just what it said. By 1535, only a few dozen were still alive. I don't know what that could possibly mean. I don't know if it was more and this was like a misprint. But as we know, that that happened in the United States, too. Um the indigenous people were just totally um, wiped out by disease and murder and hunger and being overworked as slaves. Um, during this time, the Spaniards also started stealing African people from their ancestral homes and bringing them over to the Dominican Republic to be slaves. Um, so now you have the Taino people and black Africans working for the white Spaniards. Um, at some point, Napoleon takes over the Dominican Republic and it becomes French rule. Um, but mixed race folks, so what I'm assuming that means is mostly black and indigenous mixed race people and perhaps some like white and I'm guessing some like Spanish and black people, um, they do lead a successful revolt against the French, but then the Spanish come back uh, and continue to rule over Santo Domingo until Haiti occupies um, the island um, for a 20 year period of brutal military rule. Um, there's restrictions against indigenous and black culture, um, indigenous and African languages, um, uh, indigenous and African religions, um, but eventually they gain independence from Haiti in the mid 1800s and have this presidential system with liberal tendencies uh, for quite some time until the Spanish reoccupy the Dominican Republic in the late 1800s. Then they have a second republic um, that bleeds into the 1900s um, once the Spanish have departed, but the country at this point is in ruins. The Spanish have destroyed all of their cities and economy. Everything is just completely in shambles. Um, and then who swoops in when they should not have? 
the United States, uh, the Dominican Republic loses sovereignty once again um, to the United States and the U.S. acts like they're doing something good. Um, but what they really should have done is just let these people build their own democracy at like they had before. Um, but no, the U.S. has to uh, they do this in a lot of island and Latin American countries, the U.S. You'll see from throughout the course of history. And um, basically what ends up happening after that is um, Trujillo begins the Third Republic from 1931 to 1961. This is absolute control, a monopoly of power, um, and it's a dictatorship. And he forces people to basically worship him. Like they have to have like photos of him in their like home. Um, it's almost like a cult-like mentality. Everything is super strict. There's like a secret police that are like running around and like brutalizing people. Um Thankfully, so that's the time where my book takes place. Thankfully, he's eventually overthrown, but then there's some instability. Um, there's a civil war at one point after this. There's U.S. occupation, unnecessary U.S. occupation again. Um, and now we're in the Fourth Republic, in the Dominican Republic, which from what I understand, they are doing better. But it's like it, it's going to take so much for them to bounce back from literally centuries and centuries and centuries of violent colonization. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I obviously didn't give you like a full history. There's so much behind it. Um, I'm sure there's so many good books on it. Um, but this kind of like ties into what I wanted to talk about in the time of the butterflies. I never learned any of this in school. Everything was very U.S. focused. I did take a world history class, but it did not, in my opinion, do a good job talking about uh, Latin American countries. And so I didn't know any of this or Latin American or island nations. I didn't know any of this. I never knew about really. I knew about the Trujillo dictatorship like vaguely, like I knew there was a dictatorship in the Dominican Republic, but reading this book made me understand even more about it. And like I said, this book was written in 1994, but it's a historical fiction about, uh, which I'll do like a brief plot summary in a minute, but like about this time in the Dominican Republic. Why the hell is this not a required reading in school? Like you're telling me I had to read every book by like every like European person known to man in public school. Like you're telling me I should have read a separate piece instead of this. Like how many times did I have to learn about World War One? Like <laughs> the Civil War, which the Civil War granted has some more nuance to it than like other stuff. <laughs> that wasn't like the best example. But this book was just really I don't understand. I think it is technically a classic, but I'm honestly confused as to why in, at least in the American public school I went to, books like this weren't taught. We weren't taught this narrative of um, uprising and um, people reclaiming their home and their land and their democracy. Um, we were never taught anything like that. And so I'm sure that's why a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people who vacation in the Dominican Republic have no clue of this horrible, horrible history. They just, like you said, like they go to the resort, 
and they're told not to leave the resort. And so they don't. And they're just none the wiser to like all of this trauma. Um, but the Dominican Republic is also a very beautiful country. Um, sugarcane, a lot of sugarcane comes from there. A lot of, I think some coffee comes from there. A lot of cacao comes from there. So we have the Dominican Republic to thank for chocolate. Um, I know a lot of Dominican people and they're all so freaking cool. A lot of, a lot of Dominican people live in New York now. Um, I haven't come here generations ago, um, but they're obviously really beautiful, lovely people. And um, it reminded me of when I mentioned chocolate. I think colonization also has a really negative impact on the climate. And so I know that one day like chocolate is going to go extinct. And I'm like, that's just another thing. Like, I'm sure the indigenous people of the Dominican Republic coveted the cacao and the sugar cane and and harvested it responsibly and then white people were like no we need all of it and we need to export it and everybody needs to have it and, da, 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 and horrible working conditions so that's just another fucking thing but that's like a topic for a different day um but yeah in the time of the butterflies julia alvarez it's a historical fiction um, that follows the four Mirabel um, sisters who are living during the time of the Trujillo dictatorship in the Dominican Republic. Um, the book explores their coming of age and their adult lives, as well as their part in this revolution against the dictatorship. Um, and sort of, I guess, kind of just what life paints a picture of what life was like in the Dominican Republic during that time. Um, so without further ado, I will jump right into my rating scale. Um, and I might get cut off because Zoom is hates us and won't let us live our lives to the fullest. Um, but I'll start this no matter what. Um, so for readability, I gave this book a seven. Um, I actually listened to it on audio on Audible instead of Reddit. So I don't know if that might have changed a little bit of like actually how readable it is. Um, but I found it very entertaining. I don't know if entertaining is the right word. Intriguing um, to listen to. Um, and I think that I'll get into this when I talk about form, but I think that the really cool thing about this book that I'm sure would be just as interesting um, when reading it, but I wonder if having it on audio in this way was actually better, was that um, it's told from the perspective of the four Mirabelle sisters. It alternates between them, um, and they all have very distinct ways of telling their story. In fact, some of it, which I found really cool, again, I'll get into this when I talk about form, is like, some of it is told from a first person perspective when it follows some of the sisters, but it's told from a third person perspective when it follows like one of the other sisters, which I thought was like super weird choice, but cool. Um, but the cool thing was it was read by different actors in the audio book. And so I think that made it like really like easy to listen to. You didn't get lost or anything because like, even if you weren't like, even if I was like taking a walk, right. And I wasn't like, um, 
looking at who the chapter heading to know like this was Dede speaking or this was Patria speaking, I started to recognize which actress was playing which sister which was very cool. And I think that made it even more quote unquote readable to me. Um, for writing, I gave for language and style, sorry, for writing, um, for language and style, I gave this book an 8.5. Um, I think Julia Alvarez is an amazing writer. This is just another reason that I'm like, why was, why didn't I read this in high school? Why didn't I read it in college? I'm very confused. I'm sure in uh, some people maybe read this in college for sure. Um, but I've never heard of anybody reading it in high school. Um, so that was a like her writing is just beautiful. And I thought specifically her descriptions of the Dominican Republic were stunning. Um, whether she was describing like the scenery or the plants or what they were eating or like what the community culture was like or or like the texture of the air, like everything was so beautifully described um and i also thought her descriptions and i guess more so maybe you would call it like musings on uprising were really really profound and um gorgeously um written um so yeah 8.5 stunning language for form i gave this book an eight like i said it's told from the different perspectives of the Mirabelle sisters and it'll have it like a, a one sister in two time periods so it'll have her in the present and it'll have her in the past and like I said they all have a different way of narrating so for example one of them writes in her diary and so when you're reading her chapters you're addressing she's addressing the diary um like almost like you were the diary but other sisters another sister will just have like it'll be from a third person and it'll refer to her as her character name but you're so close to her that it is following just her in that moment it's not like following one of the other sisters i just thought it was a really interesting choice that julia alvarez did that and i kind of would be curious to know why um I think some of it makes sense because like the sister who's writing in the diary, for example, I believe is the youngest. And so it kind of makes sense. It has, she has that more like youthful feel to it. If you're writing in a diary, whereas the oldest sister, if that's told from the third person that maybe has more of a mature feel to it style wise. But I will also want to talk about this when I talk about characterization, but this is historical fiction. And as far as I know, Julia Alvarez obviously did not know the Mirabelle sisters, but she created, based on their real lives, she created this book for them, about them. And I wonder if she studied them so much that the style of writing in, in this specific form in each section is what she felt like needed to happen for each sister individually. And that's why they're so different. I also think it works well from a form standpoint in that sense, because they are so distinct. The last thing you want is a book that's separated into multiple perspectives that sound exactly the same. I've definitely encountered books like that. Nobody wants that. Um, but I think Julia Alvarez managed that really well. Um, for shelfworthiness, I gave this book a seven. Um, 
I bought this book on audio because there's actually a really beautiful paper copy of it, hardcover copy of it at work that I really want. And so I was like, let me get the audio before I buy this fancy hardcover. Um, and I think I will buy that fancy hardcover. Um, I really love this book. And I, like I said, this is the, now the whatever freaking third time I'm going to say this. I think they should be a required reading. If at this point, if you're listening to this, you're likely like not in, maybe you're in school anymore. If you are in school, that's awesome. But like, you're likely not in school anymore. Maybe um, you may have not been required to read this. And so I want to say you should go out and get it and read it and experience it um, or experience Julia Alvarez's writing in some way. Cause she has another book called the, how the Garcia girls lost their accents which uh, I'm, I'm going to read eventually now after having read this. But this is one of those books, kind of like How Much of These Hills is Gold, uh, which was my AAPI book that I feel like is a required reading. Whether you are in school, if you're a teacher, I think you should be requiring this. Um, and if you've made it out of that school phase, I think you should probably take it upon yourself to read this book. For plot, I gave this book an eight. This book was obviously very tension provoking because it's taking place in the middle of a brutal dictatorship with four sisters who are joining a revolution um, and they're secretly leading this revolt and this plot to overturn a dictator. So obviously um, it has those twists and turns, but like, obviously I also feel like it's weird to comment on the plot um, because it is true. Um, this is historical fiction. I'm positive Julia Alvarez added her own little bits and pieces to this to make it more of a cohesive story. I'm guessing based on like the research that she was able to do and who she was able to even interview maybe for this, but um, it is true. So it feels like a little more peculiar to be like, well, I thought this plot line was a little weak um, because she's recounting this this really important moment in history that by the time this book is coming out is 30 or so years after the fall of this dictatorship. So I imagine it's also like educating people who weren't there on what happened. And so it feels a little weird, but I like I to like get into the plot, but I thought it was really great it just doesn't fall on the rating scale as much as another book. Like, I'm not going to be like, no loose ends, not predictable, twists. But at the same time, I was not familiar with the story of the Mirabelle sisters. And so everything that happened was shocking to me. And um, the ending was fucking devastating. Like, it was really sad. Um but also a little bit triumphant in some ways because it's like you know that they were like somewhat successful so there's that too but yeah and lastly for characterization i give this book um an eight did i give it an 8.5 no i gave it a nine i thought the characterization in this book was so good like i said all of the sisters were so different and it's almost hard to understand how one writer could write four people so deeply could investigate four people so deeply and that's why I was like what the fuck like I was like I know that Julia Alvarez was not there 
I know this isn't a memoir from the perspectives of the Mirabelle sisters, but she got so in their headspace that it almost feels like it is. Like it does almost feel like a memoir. It's really astounding. Um, and I think that she's so talented for that. And you, you really, the villains in this book, Trujillo, are real fucking villains and like all the background people background people um even people you meet just for a second are so almost tangible um which i think is incredibly important for any book but especially historical fiction now that i'm thinking about it like imagine if these characters fell flat when they're actually based on real people like that would be so sort of messed up in a way um and i feel like some historical fiction does have characters that kind of fall flat and don't feel like they're speaking from their time period like and i know this was only the 50s and 60s and 40s so it's not that weird that julia alvarez was able to capture that but it, it's still impressive and there are like feminist aspects to this book like it's it's truly it's not just about this uprising like it's about motherhood it's about being a daughter it's about being a sister it's about being a woman in what do you what does a woman do in a dictator during a dictatorship like it is a feminist text i think in many ways and it's just a very full um text so what a freaking treat to read that for island appreciation beautiful so uh would you say this is something you would add to your decolonize your bookshelf uh list a hundred percent yes good good um yeah it sounds wonderful yeah very much is a treat and especially because like we we haven't we've known that we were going to do a season like this for a while but we didn't have our episodes even thought out yet so this is something that you found quick mm -hmm. and it could be a hit or a miss and the fact that it was like a hit but not not like a first base run it was like a home run grand slam type beat yeah that's freaking cool pretty impressive yeah that's freaking cool liza um yeah wonderful let's let's move right on down my book is a lot different from Liza's book as it as I had mentioned it's poetry and a short story and some beautiful paintings um which by the way if you want to look at her paintings uh Ruby does have a website and they're beautiful they're all light colors not light colors but um vibrant happy colors they're very fun they make me happy to look at them um beautiful flowers and scenery and whammon so yeah let's let's get into this book it is a book specifically for women um a fun thing is i you can buy this book from her on her website i believe it was either on her website or it was on Facebook. I can't remember now because it was a little bit ago. Um, but I had to buy mine off of Amazon because I unfortunately did not think that it would get here soon enough for me to make this episode. I regularly, in my usual life, I do not support Amazon. So I will not, I do, especially books. I will not buy books from Amazon. But this is all besides the point. The point is to say 
that because I bought this second hand from Amazon, it is signed by her. And I think that's so lovely. And she has a beautiful signature. And I'm just like, oh, I love when I get surprise signed books. So, yeah. So this book is specifically dedicated to women, women of the Caribbean and women in general. Um, and so, yeah. So for readability and interest, I gave it a six, but I'm going to change kind of what our little graph says. It was an easy read. Nothing's hard in it. It's fast because it is so short. Um, so very quick, very easy to read, very easy to blow. Through. Also, poems are just easy to breeze through. So, yeah, but some of a lot of the things you read in here are actually pretty heavy and emotional. And I would say this is the opposite in the sense that um, it's just it's a very uplifting book, in my opinion, even though the feminism of it is slightly outdated and religious centered, which I mentioned before. So for readability, it gets a six because it was easy to read. Yeah. For language and style, I gave... Oops, I burped. <laughs> For language and style. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. Uh, <laughs> For language and style, I gave this a six. Um, I feel as though, especially with poetry... Poetry is not usually my cup of tea. It is simply just not. I'm very, very specific about the kind of poetry that I read. And I think my favorite book of poems is probably a book called Sheep Machine, which is not as it doesn't take itself seriously. Um, So I would say this book of poems does take itself quite seriously. And um, while the writing is, you know, quote, clean, no mistakes and everything, um, I think her style really comes through in her content for her poems. She mixes a lot of femininity with nature. She also does it in her paintings. And she also seems to pick very specific things and kind of write about uh, write about them in a broad type way so i think the distinct style part of this uh writing would come in theme wise um but overall i give this a six for form i'm gonna omit form because they're pretty straightforward poems most of them are I think they're all actually middle center justified and there's, there's no like continuous rhyme scheme or anything to mention, but I do want to talk about the little short story that's in here, which is called she wears a crown of triumph. This was very um, Afro Caribbean centered I would say. Um, and it's it's about a woman who works her whole life 
and has a very nice ending. Um, and why I want to talk about this when it gets to form is because she uses what what I believe is Saint Martin vernacular. I guess you would call it. Um, and there is a few times during the poems where she says words or she uses words, not said because she's not talking. Um, she uses words which she has to explain because it is, uh, I guess, like slang words. There was one poem. Oh, I'm a little bit mad that I'm not finding it right away. It's called She Loves Melee, which I guess is the term for gossip, which I thought was very funny. So she does things like that. And then there will be little footnotes which explain it. And so, so for this short story, she does things like instead of saying I, she uses ah, A-H, when ah was 10 years old, May, mother. So so yeah, so there are things like that in this story that um, she uses. And I think some people might get annoyed by things like that, but I actually think it's fun. But I, and I do wonder, this could be a weird thing, but when I read, I hear the voice in my head. Um, and so things like that, when I'm reading it, obviously the voice in my head is saying it. And so I think it, it like takes on its whole other character, but I, I wonder if some um, image seeing brain people would feel differently about it. I don't know. It's besides the point, but that's really all I want to say um, for about form when it comes to that short story. And, and I will say I enjoy the layout of this book, um, which isn't necessarily form, but I'm going to put it in form because um, it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. So specifically, it's it's sliced up into seven stories. It's not stories, seven sections. Um, the fifth section being the short story. And between each section, she inserts one of her own paintings, which is a very me thing to do. Um, that's pretty much what I did with my book. And I think that it's so good to just have a break like that in books. I've said it once and I've said it again. More books need images. More books need bring back picture books for adults. So yeah, so for Shelfworthy, I gave this a four. And it's not that I think that it's a bad book or anything. Um, I think I will keep it on my shelf because I think the paintings are fun to look at. Um, but like I said, poetry is not really my thing. Um, I got this book for very cheap. Got this book very cheaply. Um, and yeah, I think that if you can get your hands on a copy, it's interesting. I don't think that there are many floating around there, out there in, in the great wide book world and I think her poems are something to think about whether you like them all or not which in my opinion is always a good thing I think it's good to be constantly thinking 
and wondering why you like things, why you don't like things. What about like what this makes you feel like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so I give this a four. I think I'm going to keep it on my shelf, but will I ever actually read it again? I'm not sure. But if the day ever comes, I will let you guys know. For plot, I'm going to, instead of talking about plot, I'm going to actually consider it to be theme and kind of talk about this thematically. Um, so I gave it a five. And again, floral, the, the floral bouquets to the daughters of Eve. This is, um, you know, a little feminist poetry book dedicated to women, dedicated to Afro-Caribbean women and the different cultures that come with that, I would say. And so I think overall the plot is interesting and it's good. Good in quotes because who's good is subjective um, person to person. But anyways, uh, so... So yeah, so for theme, I gave this a five. I think it's really interesting. It's really good. And I feel like this was the time in my life that I'm in right now and things going on in the world. This was a good time for me to read it. And there are just times in your life when you're craving strong female people around you. And I think that if that happens in my life again, I will probably pick up this book again because it's comforting in that way. So, so yeah, so that's why I got a five. Um, I don't have anything to say for characterization. There's not many characters in here except for the ones mentioned in the short story, um, which I think if I were to rate the short story and characterization, I would give it like a six or a seven, but there's only one character who I feel like I know enough to be writing, and that's the main character. Um, very much besides the point, but, um, yeah, so that's what I have to say about this. I am going to say, I think that to have a poet and a painter and a, um, cultural person such as her still be around right now, um, still be actively working in the arts if you go to St. Martin, she does have like a gallery house, I believe, named after her. Don't quote me on that, um, which is really amazing. And I, I find it so wonderful to so wonderful, but also a little bit sad to be like the first lady on this island to have ever published a book is still alive, um, which is wonderful, obviously. And I think she's great. And I, I'm so impressed by um, her, her work in arts for the island. But, um, but, you know, obviously it is sad that it's just like still, I mean, this book came out in 95. I think her first one came out. This is her second, her second book. I don't remember when her first one came out, but it had to be, it had to be in the eighties or maybe early nineties. And I'm like, that is 
not that far away for her to be the first woman to publish a book on the island. Um, either way, I think she's wonderful and I think she's very much a treasure and I'm going to try to put the link to this book, the link to this book that's going to be, um, that you, that you can buy straight from her and also her website. I'm going to try to remember to link both of those in the show notes. And that's all I have to say about the floral bouquets to the daughters of Eve. That sounds so cool. Yes. I want to look up her pictures, her paintings. This is one on the cover. It's like a, isn't it kind of like a beautiful aesthetic? Yes. I love it. We should encourage more writers to make more art for their own books. I agree. I loved your art in your book. It was very fun. It's just fun to experience art alongside writing. Yeah. I think with my writing, I'm constantly thinking of ways that it can be more than just reading. Not because I feel like it has to be, just because I feel like it's an interesting experience. And so I love to put my own art in there. Um, I love to put, like, for my one story, I have a little barcode you can scan. And it is sound. Um, I think I like to just have people experience writing in many ways. And you can experience writing with other senses. Yeah. That's how I feel about that. That's how she feels about that. Also, sometimes I think that I don't know why my voice sounded so weird when I just said also, but um, sometimes I think that the sense of sight should be considered in two different ways, because I can be looking at a picture and seeing that picture. But like when you're reading, that's a different kind of sight. Is that just me? (laughs) No. I'll never understand people who can't see things in their head. Are you a, do you hear things? Yeah. Okay. So you do both. I do both, but some people can only see, like they can't see or hear anything but themselves. Yeah. Girl, what? That makes no, like if you say apple, they can't see the apple they yeah, that's say apple what's going on in there First, like i can say shit in other people's accents in my fucking head niall horan is in my head on and i'm not i don't know why it's niall specifically but like his little see Irish accent, there it's always there like i understood what you meant because you were reading that book in a caribbean accent yes because she was reading it to you but she was in your fucking head like it's that simple but at the same time you can see all the scenery she's describing Friggin' Harry uh, impersonating Niall and being like, no, I don't. <laughs> I can hear that in my head all the time. Dude, people in my head are not me, bro. Like, sometimes it's me. But if I'm reading a book where I'm saying a quote, it's not fucking me, dude. That's not me. That's not me. That's somebody else. Maybe we just got big brains. Maybe. A big brain. But maybe we're weird, too. 
Hey. Borderline, like some kind of Ill, mental illness. <laughs> Wouldn't I mean, surprise me. Mentally ill, but maybe there's something else nefarious going on in there. Um, what are we reading next week, Marissa? Yeah, next week we're reading some little island girl fiction. Um, I'm reading, I already started it. It's quite fun. Um, Reckless Girls by Rachel Hawkins, which takes place on the island atoll in the middle of the ocean of Miro. It's a mystery. It's a thriller. We love that. Um, I have, I'm planning to have read Wilder Girls by Rory Power, but there was a little mix up at my bookstore and I don't know if it's going to come in on time. So we'll see. Maybe it'll be a surprise and I'll just show up and I'll be like, ah, I read something else. I'm so excited. Me too. And this is the last episode for now that we're filming on U.S. soil. The next episode is going to be the last one we film on U.S. The one after that will be in sunny, sandy, windy Aruba. Aruba lizard infested. I'm going to hold the lizard while we record the third episode of this special season. We're going to hold them up to the mic and say, say something. Say what you you need to say. And they're going to be like, hmm. And they're going to say it. It's going to say, kill John Lennon. Kill John Lennon. Uh, and that's it. That's it. That's all she wrote. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out. <laughs>